Before we jump into today's episode, we want to talk to you about Internet Church. Rich, what is Internet Church? Oh, it's only the best internet gathering this side of the Kailua River. Is the Kailua River a thing? Maybe we should start over. <laughs> let's let's do it again. Ask me again. <laughs> no, let's leave it in. Now no, no, let's talk about Internet Church. Uh, internet Church. Actually, it's a thing we do every other Friday night where we all gather together, uh, encourage the saints in truth. It's uplifting. It's edifying. It's just a time to gather for about an hour on a Friday night or day, depending what part of the world you're in, just to be encouraged by the saints. You you think you would like something like that? Is the Pope Catholic? Uh, you bet your sweet bippy the Pope is Catholic. And uh, Justin, Internet Church is all about gospel freedom. It's good. I'm trying to think of the follow-up question. <laughs> oh, I'm like, man, this thing is lagging. Uh, all right. If No. Absolutely love it. So if you were going to... No. What are we going for? Are we trying to be funny or are we trying to be serious? I don't know. I I mean, whatever. I, we're trying to let people know that... Oh, <laughs> I'm not as gifted as you are in this department, my friend. So join us every other Friday night, 8 o'clock Central, 6 o'clock Pacific, 9 o'clock Eastern. If you are international and want to add that to your calendar so you don't have to do all the time conversions, head on over to lovereality.org slash circles and add the Internet Church Circle to your calendar. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Move, where we're vibrant through the book 10 minutes at a time. I'm your host, Justin Koo, and in today's episode, we're talking about that time in the Bible where Adam and Eve have a conversation with a talking snake. If you're wondering where in the world this is, we're talking about Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. My guest for today's episode is the one, the only, Pastor Jonathan Leonardo. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Uh, How's that feel? A, you're a troll, bro. <laughs> we were talking uh, uh, before the recording how you did not expect this to be the case, but God moves in mysterious ways to use the cliche, and now you're a pastor. No, I'm a pastor, but I know that you're just trolling super hard. Pastor, John. <laughs> uh, I got my uh, credentials, and technically I'm also a pastor from one of those like universalist churches. Universal online, so Life connect, Church. Uh, that's the one, so I can do uh, marriages and stuff like that. Um, so it's funny. Uh, anyways, we're talking about the fall today. We're talking about uh, the talking snake, Adam and Eve, the, you know, eating the fruit, so to speak. And I just, I don't know, like, it seems so like brain dead, obvious now. It's like, bro, it's a talking snake. Snakes aren't supposed to talk. What do you do when talking to a snake? And I, I don't know. I just, I just facepalm is like all I can think about. To read yeah. the story now, but that's probably not what it was like reading it back then or in the original moment. I'm sure it was not so crazy. No, you know, there's a lot that we miss again when we don't know the text. Uh, we don't read it closely. And, and one of the ways is that we miss a little bit with the language. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, now this is I'm doing some callback here. But if I remember right, the the word here for the serpent is Nahash. Right, okay. Nahash, I believe. And and depending on it, it could take several forms. It could be a, ver a verbal form. It could be a noun form. And certainly it refers to a serpent, but it also can refer to a serpentine figure, right? Hmm. So not just simply a serpent in the uh, 2021 understanding of a serpent, like an anaconda in the Amazon where it's slithering. Sure. And if you get yeah. into the water, it's going to eat you up or the sort of trope where there's like these sli slithering, sly, cunning serpent 
that is, you know, um, trying to strategize and, and like, like, and, uh, like in the Jungle Book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, where he's going around Mowgli. It, it, no, it's it's more or less. Um, if you you look at the word and you look at the intertextuality of this word Nahash, there's a, a serpentine figure or a shite a. Uh, 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 a shining bright one can be another way to understand it. And when you look at the context of Genesis one and how it relates to, to other narratives of the creation story and other sort of mythological elements that exist in the time of which the Bible's written, right? So I'm talking about for this is for my theology nerds for the ancient Near East, right? Which is the um, ancient Mesopotamia, Mesopotamia, Israel, Northern Egypt. Like there is a plethora of creation stories and there is a plethora of like divine beings that exist. And one of them is this Nahash, this serpentine figure that is a shining bright one that looks something along the lines of what we would call a serpent, but is also very beautiful to look at. It's colorful. In some depictions, it has wings. In some depictions, like the one in the Bible, it speaks. So it's not just a symbol of evil cunning in the way that you and I understand that you come to a tree and there's a serpent and you have to take care, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's an actual outgrowth. They wouldn't have been scared per se, uh, according to the traditions. No, the, the, the story here is one that it presents this shining bright figure, right? That is serpentine in nature. And we related it to the serpent, but that is also, uh, quite possibly some sort of being that belongs to the supernatural realm, right? So that when it speaks, it's not surprising because it's not a being that may or may not actually primarily belong to the world, right? To the earth. Uh, to the earth, right? In the sense that you and I are proper to the earth as humans, right? And and that's not far flung in this story because when you read Genesis 3, 1 through 13, you see that God comes in after the proverbial fall. God shows up and he talks to Adam and Eve. God is not proper to the earth, right? Mm, right. God precedes, he is, you know, everlasting from everlasting. So he, that the world that this story exists in is an enchanted world that actually has beings that can come in that aren't proper to earth and actually have interaction with Adam and Eve is a bit of the backdrop of where these 13 verses take place. And it's helpful to understand that this serpent is not just merely a garden snake, that it is maybe some serpentine figure that actually uh, is understood to be maybe a participant of the divine supernatural realm that then Adam and Eve actually have interaction with. So what I'm hearing is that um, we have clear divisions now between the natural world and the supernatural, um, whether your belief in the supernatural or not, whatever. But like we have a clear division that there are things that we can expect and things that are kind of supernatural, hence the term supernatural. Mm -hmm, But mm -hmm. life before the fall, Mm -hmm. that line maybe didn't exist at all, that there was kind of a coming and a going maybe between beings from other worlds or other Mm -hmm. realms, clearly God's showing up and that Mm -hmm. wasn't surprising to Adam Mm -hmm. and Eve. And so there's, there's this idea and we get, we get the sense that in, I think it's in, it's in Daniel, it's in Ezekiel, it's in Revelation, Mm -hmm. there's clearly beings from other worlds, Mm -hmm. obviously angels, but there's also Mm -hmm. other kinds of weird looking things that don't seem 
to be necessarily demonic by nature. And, and yeah. whether or not Adam and Eve knew about the quote-unquote demonic or not, the point is that, that they were expecting or that it wasn't abnormal for them to have conversation with divine beings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and even that, that usage of demons might be a misnomer in light of the oh, okay. enchanted world, precisely because there are a number of classifications in the Old Testament of beings so that it's not just simply angelic cherubs, little white babies with wings. <laughs> and then on the other side, you have your little demons that are imps. cloven hooved and imps yeah. and, you know, they have some sort of red skin with with tails. Right. Like this is this is very much a, a, a medieval and more uh, a way later development. But in the ancient Near East, in this text, in this story here, there is a sort of taxonomy of beings. And in that taxonomy of beings, there are beings that are proper to the supernatural realm. And they have all sorts of different functions. And demons might be a catch-all phrase for uh, uh, supernatural beings or, or that are evil in nature. But even that is, is a bit shortchanging. But what we have here is an enchanted world uh-huh. where the serpentine figure exists. So that when Eve comes up to the tree... In the story, and with this as backdrop, it's not surprising that Eve can have a conversation. Hmm. So, and, so this, this kind of context is really interesting because the idea of the promise or the kind of the allure of the offer of this serpentine figure is that you will have your eyes open, you'll be like God. Yeah. And when, when, it's, when I just think about the, the taxonomy of beings, it's just there's humanity, there's maybe angels, and then there's God. Uh-huh. And it's like, okay, that's like a really lofty, it, I don't know, maybe it sounds crazy, I don't, it, it, but it, it changes in my mind. And I'm, I'm trying to distill like how it changes, but to know that there's multiple layers and many different types of beings yeah. that are out there, the offer to become like gods, I feel like there's something that's being offered here that is missed in my, my modern reading of the text. 100%, because what you have, like you have seraphim, you have cherubim. You have other classifications in the text. Some would argue that the designations of sons of God are beings that belong to the supernatural oh, realm. We're going to do right? an episode on the Nephilim. No, 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 not that. No, B'nai Elohim, no, no, say, not the I'm Nephilim. I'm saying late, later we will do one. Oh, we will? Oh, yeah, gosh, yeah, yeah, okay. That's, that's a focus. No, I'm talking about B'nai Elohim, where some would argue, right, that that is a designation for beings that are proper to other worlds. You see this in Job chapter one. So again, just reiterating that the Old Testament doesn't, ha- doesn't have just this binary of angels and demons. Mm-hmm. It has a taxonomy of beings, and that taxonomy of beings might be some sort of hierarchy uh, in relationship to responsibility and function. And in light of that, think about this in light of that, when the serpentine figure, when the serpent snake at the tree offers that, if you partake of this fruit, you will be like God. This idea of being like God is to, um, sort of not transgress, but, but overcome and rise beyond the limitations of an earthly and terrestrial existence. Right. Mm. And so that the invitation is not simply one of you can be like God and that you can take his throne or that it it, like with this malicious sort of cunning intent. No, Hmm. it's an invitation. Right. One reading here is that this serpentine figure is offering an invitation that is actually a divine invitation for the humans to actually 
choose and make an act of the will to partake into something that would actually enlighten them and move them forward. And for this to be framed as though this is the desire of God for them. Oh, right. So, the, okay. So he's not like, we read it and it's like, come be a part of my rebellion. Come yeah. and let's take down God. Instead, it's kind of like, Hey, I'm an emissary of the most high. And I have this offer. This is coming from him, from me, from him to me, to you. Yep. And we want to invite you to come join the party. And yep. he was like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. Yep. And, and, and then the, the, the nuance of the text is that then the subtlety of it is that the invitation is not in keeping with what God has actually told them. Mm. God has said something to them. The invitation is according to what they see. Hmm. So Eve sees that the fruit is good for wisdom. It's good for food. She sees the serpentine figure who is speaking, having this interaction with her. She sees it as an enlightened figure and thinks, oh, I can achieve and I can reach that if I just partake of this fruit. So the invitation is to partake in sort of sort of, some sort of divine aspect by way of what you see, right? If you look mm -hmm. at verse uh, six of chapter three, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit and ate and she also gave to her husband who was with her. So in that little verse right there, what the author is trying to communicate is that, listen, Eve was sensually tempted, meaning mm. she was lured via her senses, mm. not sensual in the sense of adult play, but sure. sensual in the sense of her senses. And this has a direct echo to when Jesus is in the wilderness and who appears mm. the enemy appears. And Paul tells us that the enemy can appear as an angel of light. Mm. And there are traditions. There are Christian traditions that understand that when the enemy appeared to Jesus in the wilderness, he appeared as an angel of light, right? We'll get that call later. <laughs> he appeared as an angel of light. And this is why when the angel appears, this is why the enemy appears for Jesus in the wilderness. The question is, if you are the son of God, yeah, why? Yeah. Because as an emissary to serve the son of God, he needed to know whether Jesus was in fact the son of God that he was there to serve and he needed some sort of proof. Yeah. So this is a way in wrapping up Jesus to live according to his sensual experience by having him prove that he's the very recipient of God's emissary for him. You, you see the cunning there? Yeah, absolutely. And this changes the way that I think about temptation, right? Because temptation often is like, oh, there's the devil and the, and the red, you know, pitchfork and the mm -hmm. cape and all these things. And he offers you like, hey, I'll make you wealthy and I'll make mm -hmm. you famous and really good at playing the guitar if you sell me your mm -hmm. soul. Yeah, yeah. And we, we think like this is how temptation comes. But, yeah. but the picture that's being painted both from uh, this experience in, in the garden as well as with Jesus is that, no, 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 it's not always quite like that. The, 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 the real crux of temptation is this inclination to distrust what God has said uh -huh. and to go with what is... Uh, what you are experiencing as to use your language sensually. Yeah. 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 And, and, and the contrast here, and you see it clearly sort of exemplified in Jesus in the wilderness is that when he just says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by mm. every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, that's what was missed in the fall. So when you read Genesis three, one through 13, there's an invitation to partake in a new reality, according to the senses, according to this interaction. And the fall is to actually live according to our sensual 
like experience divorced from the explicit word and command that has come before because your existence as a human is tethered and tied to the word of God because you only exist because God spoke it. The world is held together because the word spoke it so that the existence of all reality is rooted on an agreement between like the material world and the power, then the, the word of his power. Right? Mm-hmm. This is where you start getting into these places where it's like, what? Like the world exists, all exists simply because he spoke it. That's the yeah. word of his power, according to Hebrews. So that the world that Eve lives in, although enchanted, is the world first created according to the word. And the invitation at the tree is this cunning of a serpentine figure who presents himself as something of a uh, enlightened being who is inviting Eve into a more enlightened state via sensual living at the expense of the word of God, Hmm. not realizing Eve is not realizing that that invitation is less than what she already has because God has spoken it. This is what I find so interesting. I'm glad that you're kind of wandering in this direction. We only have a couple minutes left, so maybe briefly. But sure. I, I do notice here that the, that the fall is much less of a rebellion and much more of a fall. And that's why we call it the yeah, fall. She, yeah, she was yeah. subject to temptation. Or yeah. not to tempt, subject to deception yeah. and temptation, I guess. Yeah. But there's a really interesting passage in, I think it's in Second Timothy, that talks about how it, Eve, yes, Eve was deceived. She bought into the lie mm-hmm. that the serpentine figure was 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 offering but it says but adam was not deceived mm-hmm, mm-hmm, what's mm-hmm. going on there uh, again we don't have enough time to break it down but um just adam as the figurehead right mm-hmm. and again this this language of adam as humanity but adam as the figurehead of humanity that he he perceived correctly that the invitation was an actual a, a, a fable it was a, a a cunningly devised fable mm-hmm. to move him but that there was this place where he hitched his 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 wagon to his bride, right? Yeah. So that there was a hope. I, you, you, some traditions uh, present, and this isn't explicit in the text, but there there was a hopefulness within Adam to do the right thing in his conception of hitching himself to his bride, and that maybe God would see the sincerity of his heart or some some sort of redemptive. Mm-hmm. Uh, element there, but that Adam was not deceived in seeing the serpentine figure as something other than an alternative to what God had spoken. Right. Mm. And maybe it wasn't clear for him, the road where this, this alternate road led. Yeah. With the ramifications were. Yeah. But that Adam was not deceived that this isn't quite it. Right. Mm. But yeah, he did it because he hitched his, his, his wagon to Eve. I mean, we could do a whole episode on the, sophistry of what the uh what the serpent did here because once eve falls once eve partakes it's it's a done deal Hmm. like adam doesn't even have to partake when you actually think it through because all of a sudden Hmm. death is in the world in some meaningful way yeah. And now you have to redeem it. And, and it's, it's all, it's, it There's is the whole counterfactual of what if Adam held his ground and then yep. what, now what would the story of redemption, how does that all work? Oh man. So but even else. then, even then there's already death. Yeah. And so that yeah. then, and, and, and remember that the whole point in the serpentine figure and the serpent's uh, sort of cunning is not to have Adam fall. That's not mm. the first and foremost. 
it's to cast aspersions against the character of God. Oh. Remember, that's the, that's the end goal. The end goal mm. is to rebel against God, right? Mm. Now, we rebel against God by getting a foothold on the earth, but mm. it's a casting aspersions and, and sort of uh, putting a shadow over the character of God so that if Eve were to die and Adam had held strong, you know, this counterfactual, well, then there's a claim to be able to say, as the enemy, the serpent, can say, oh, so you just let this woman die? Mm. So this is what you do to those who disobey you? If they cut don't, you just cut them off. Or you wow. see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And and the government of God is cast under aspersion. And so you already have, it's it's a fascinating, Man. there's so many more layers here. Well, we don't have time for those layers, but what we will do is invite you to our Facebook community group where actually we're having conversations, I think every day with the new episode dropping. And so there's so much else that we could explore. If you have questions about the text, observations, insights that maybe you want to share with us, we want to invite you over to the Facebook community group. The, the link to that community is in the description of every episode. We would love to have you guys over. Until then, we'll see you guys in the next episode. All right, so we just want to shout out a awesome podcast that is transforming and changing lives. And the podcast is Death to Life. It's actually hosted by our buddy Richard Young. And within this podcast, you hear these awesome stories of people who received the gospel and who were once living in darkness and in death and how in receiving the gospel, they went from death to life. It's long form. So they're an hour plus an hour and a half plus, but it's powerful, powerful stories and powerful, powerful transformations. And you can find that podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple music, whatever, Buzzsprout, death to life with Richard Young. One of the things that I love about long form podcasts is that you can really just immerse yourself in a story. Oh, yeah. We try our best to do these move episodes in 10 minutes. We say 10 minutes, but like, let's be <laughs> not we're, not, we're not even close to that. Not mark. even close. Um, but long form podcasts give you so much depth to an experience and to a story. And yeah. there's something there's something unique about stories, about being able to hear what God has done in the life of someone else. Yeah. To hear yeah. the struggles, the, the way that they overcome, the way that God met them in that moment. Yeah. I have personally benefited tremendously from listening to these stories and I believe that you will too. So go give yeah. them a shot. Check it out. Death to Life with Richard Young. This is, by the way, this is not a paid advertisement at not all. Advertisement. Uh, this is just something that we love and we want to encourage you guys to go check it out. Maybe when Jonathan Leonardo's book finally lands, maybe we can get a paid advertisement from, from his book. By the way, that's a shout out. You're going to have a book coming out sometime. Yeah, a couple months. Yeah, I think okay. early February. All right. Well, maybe we get to talk about it in early February and shout that yeah. out. Uh, but yeah, guys, go check it out. Death Life with Richard Young, wherever you find your podcasts.